All right, well, uh, you're a guest with us. Welcome. Uh, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. If you need a Bible, we're going to be in it today. Go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Uh, take it, keep it, read it. We uh, are going to go through the Bible. This is what we do. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We are in a, in a season where we're going through a particular topical sermon series called uh, King of Kings. The big theme today is worship the king. Uh, and so the question we're asking throughout this, this our entire study um, is, uh, what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is king? What does that mean? And so what does it mean that he is to be worshipped above all? That's what we're going to look at today. And so um, last week we saw uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She got the news that Jesus would be born of her uh, and that she would be a virgin and that uh, she was going to have Jesus. That's a miracle, right? If you don't know what that means, you can Google that later. Virgins can't have children. That's what it is. And she's, she's not even going to be able to bear children, a child unless God shows up. Additionally, her cousin, uh, Elizabeth, can't have a child either. And, and God, is, she's barren. God's going to perform another miracle there. That's what we looked at Mary's response to that news. Her response was, yes, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. Let's go. I'll do it. And, and today what we're going to look at is her husband, or uh, her, her soon-to-be husband. At the time, they're not yet married, they're engaged. Her soon-to-be husband, Joseph's response. Just imagine for a moment, like you're, you're engaged uh, to be married, and then, uh, you know, guys, you're engaged to a woman, and you find out she's pregnant. And you know that you haven't touched her, and so it's not yours. Uh, that, that creates a, a predicament, right? And so that's, Joseph's going to hear this news. And so we're going to look at Joseph's response. Additionally, uh, this news gets throughout the entire land to the king, uh, King Herod. And, and so he's going to hear about this news. And so we're going to look at his response. Moreover, the, the chief priests, the religious leaders, the church people, they're going to hear about the news. We're going to look at their response. And then lastly, there's going to be these three, or, or we don't know three. I'll get to in that moment. These guys, these pagan guys, these wise men, non-Christians who hear the news of Jesus. And we're going to look at their response. So that, I think that covers probably everyone in here. I don't know where you're at in, in your relationship with, with Jesus. But, uh, and, and, but there, there's all people who are going to hear this news. The people who know Jesus, people who don't know Jesus, people who think they do, and people who, who want to. All of these people will hear this news today. And so it's a message for all of us. We'll look at all of these individuals' responses. And so Matthew 1, chapter 1, verse 18 through, uh, through 25. That's where we're going to be to start. Looking at Joseph. Joseph. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, which means engaged, to Joseph, before they came together, before they consummated their marriage, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Talked about last week, that's what God said what was going to happen through the angel, told, hey, you'll conceive a child as a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. He can do what is impossible. That's what we we talked about last week. Verse 19, in her, so now her husband Joseph is, 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 is getting this information. And it's interesting, and I'm going to talk about it, what, the, the language here is, is, is he's referred to as her husband Joseph because he will, that's what he's going to be. Um, but he's engaged, they're engaged right now, her husband Joseph. Just uh, uh, being a just man, he's a righteous man, he's a godly man, and unwilling to put her to shame, meaning Mary put to shame because she's pregnant out of wedlock, Resolved to divorce her quietly. So, Joseph, this is his story. He's a blue collar, uh, hardworking, uh, he's, a, he's a carpenter type guy. 
That's what he is, a blue-collar worker, not a very rich guy, not from a a religious, highly uh, educated background, but he is a guy who loves the Lord. We see it here that he wants to honor God, he wants to obey God, he wants to to do what's right for for his his family here. And so we see he's a godly man. And and when it says betrothed, this is what we need to understand, what the Bible teaches. And I get it, you, you, you watch movies, you watch TV shows, you watch a lot of things that teach you about relationships. It's the weirdest country in the world. We're the only country that, like, goes to, to unnatural things to, to tell us how to live our life. Even in the bush of Africa where I've been, they, look, they, they know what's true and what's right because uh, God has revealed it. We know that in Romans 1. But that's another sermon for another day. And so in the Bible we see two things. There's two parts of a marriage, covenant and consummation. Covenant and consummation. There's a betrothal period of engagement, and then there's a marriage and a, and, and a consummation. And so it, what we see throughout the Scriptures is we're told, even as early as the first book of the Bible in Genesis, that a man shall what? Leave his father and mother. And then he shall, he shall be united to his wife, and those two shall become one flesh. And so there's this, this, this uh, child is just like we just dedicated these children. They're raised up by their parents. That's the ideal, that there would be two parents involved, a man and a woman, and they would stay together. They would love Jesus. They, they would worship God. That's how God designed it, that they would worship the God of the Bible. The kids would raise, be raised up in the ways of the Lord. And then the parents the, would oversee uh, their, their lives and care for them. The father would be the head and protect and lead and love and serve them. And then when it became time for marriage, there'd be a season of, of engagement and betrothal. Oftentimes that happened in the context of the family. The father didn't, wanted to protect his daughter. Oftentimes uh, 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 he should all times, but, but that, was the, that was why. Just think about it. We, we, you, you live in America enough to know that there could be reasons to not trust a guy who's dating a girl. I just, there's reasons to, to doubt why that could be safe for her well-being. Well, in our day and age, we don't think in those terms, she's 18, she's 16, whatever. She's her own person. Let her, here's what's not going to happen in my house. That. Like, I will oversee the, the relationship between my daughter and anyone else. And I, and I hope that's the scariest thing uh, outside the fear of God that um, this man has. I really do. I do. And so that's how the Bible teaches it. It should be parents overseeing their, their, their kids and their relationships. And then there's betrothal or engagement upon the consent in, uh, of the covenant head of the father. It would be like, hey, you can marry my daughter. And that guy must come through, you know, the, 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 the head of the house. And, and, and get his approval. That's what we see throughout the scriptures. Then we see a, a marriage, a coming together, a marriage ceremony, where there's a public declaration that, you know, just like we had a ceremony to dedicate these children, uh, this is a public marriage that's saying, hey, what God has put together, let no one tear apart. This is a covenant relationship publicly pronounced, overseen by God. And so we see that. That's the third part of so the parents' betrothal and then the marriage ceremony that should end in consummation of the marriage. That's how God has designed it. So Joseph, knowing these things, and I know I covered like the entire Old Testament in like 90 seconds. That and Joseph knowing those things, him knowing those things, is like he's in the betrothal portion of his marriage. He has not slept with his wife. Because that is reserved for after marriage. They're not living together. They're not hooking up. They're not doing any of those things. They are, they're waiting to be married because he's a godly guy. And so he finds out his wife's pregnant. He finds out she's pregnant. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to think like, ah, things are not okay. What is going on here? What is going on here? So Joseph is probably in a little bit of panic. And so what happens? The angel's got to show up and talk to him. 
The angel's got to show up. God's got uh, to show up and intervene. Just so you know, this, this excuse, this is not an excuse, this is a real time, real place. Only Jesus was born of a virgin. Anyone who claims this is a liar. Just so you know. This is not like, I have a verse for it. See, it happened to Mary, it happened to me. See, mom, dad, I'm not. You know, it was God. No, yeah, God opens and closes the womb, but here, Joseph was not involved in that. Joseph was not involved. And so, that's what's going on here. And here, it says that he, he, he wanted to divorce her privately. See, the Bible talks about engagement not as let's try it before you buy it. Let's just see if this thing works out. Engagement is a season, and it's a type of covenant that we we already know. We believe God has called us to be married here. This is why when we talk about premarital counseling here, we talk about preparation for marriage more than, like, discerning whether you should get married. Now, sometimes during premarital, you might find out we didn't do our homework. However, uh, the idea for engagement should not be, I don't know, she looks cute, he looks cute, let's get engaged, let's figure it out. No, engagement and betrothal is a season where you're going, we got it. We know we want to get married. We know God's called us to be married, and so we're going to get married. And so we're not, we're not breaking up. We're not, we're, we are holding fast to the Lord. We are in a type of covenant together. So he's like, man, i got to break off the covenant. I gotta break, I, I've got to call off the wedding. we got to divorce privately. I, want, I don't want to dishonor her, like her parent. Like just all this stuff is going on in his mind. And so in verse 20, he, he considered these, these things. He's like, ah, what's going on? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, because he's fearful. He's losing his mind. He's sitting here at night, can't think straight. What's going on? Should I divorce her? How's this going to happen? What do I need to do? She's already showing. What? I don't know what to do. So, so the angel, we, don't, we know uh, it's Gabriel because we saw it last week. Gabriel shows up, and he shows up, and he says, um, he says, do not fear. Take Mary, and he says, take, to, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. You gotta keep, yes, you're not going to get married. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We know. The heavens know. It wasn't you, Joseph. <laughs> we know. God, the Holy Spirit, has, has given your your wife, your soon-to-be wife, this blessed child. And he doesn't know anything about it yet. And so, and he said, he continues, that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Oh, man. Plot twist for Joseph. So, this is your plan, God? All right, she's bearing a child who is gonna save People from sin? This is a godly guy. He knows his Bible. He knows the, the, the ways of the Lord. So he knows that he, he, his wife is going to have the long-awaited Messiah. The King. Jesus is what his name shall be, he is told. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. So it's a title for Jesus, God with us. So literally, God is, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, come down from heaven to earth to live in our place, live with us. He is condescended down. The, the first coming of Christ, the Christmas season, tells us that God loves his people. 
If you, ever, if you look around, our world is crazy. The world is crazy in Jesus' day. We've been rebelling against God for, since the very beginning of time. So God has come to rescue us. He's come to be with us. He's literally come to dwell among us. Jesus Christ has come. And so Joseph's hearing this news. And when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. So notice, the angel shows up while Joseph is just thinking about all that's going on. Have you ever been there at night where you're just like, boss, job, finance, just everything is going on at once at night. You're just, you just everything. Life just feels like you're being hard-pressed on every side. You can't sleep. You're thinking about how angry you are, how uh, frustrated you are, how, how, how the things that you are walking through in your current season of life just seem impossible to navigate. And you're there's thinking, or you're trying to discern, should I go right, should I go left? God, what are you calling me to? You just, you're just overwhelmed with thoughts and emotions, exactly like Joseph. You're just, you're just confused. You don't know what to do when you're praying, you're seeking the Lord. It's like, is he answering? And then God shows up. And God shows up. He shows up. And I want you to think. Think about the big decisions you have to make. Or think about where you're at. Do you, are you seeking the Lord? Are you asking for wisdom? Are you asking for discernment? Are you, are you approaching God through his word? Because see, what the angel of the Lord is, what this angel is, he is, angel literally means messenger. He's got a message from God. I need you to understand that God has given you a message. 66 books right here in your hand or on your iPhone, whatever y'all are using. God has spoken through his word. And so he wants to speak to you in timely fashion through his word. And he still does through his word. Open it. Read it. As you're in a season of prayer and discernment, seek God through his word. He will be found. We're told in Jeremiah 29 that if we seek him with all of our heart, he will be found, declares the Lord. Half the time we seek him with half hearts. Half the time we seek him with our, our words, but not with our actions, with our mind, and with our, with our heart. Seek the Lord through his word with all your heart, and you will find him. Joseph does this. The angel shows up. He speaks. And what does he do? He hears that, uh, that this child will save sinners. Awesome news. And he, he hears that God is with him. And then what does he do? He obeys everything that, that the Lord commanded. Notice he, he said he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. So he took Mary to be his wife. But he did not sleep with her. That's a miracle right there. A guy in engagement, right? That's, that's a big one. Then that child's going to be named Jesus because he's the savior of the world. So he, obey, he, he doesn't even get to name his own son. He trusts God so much that he's like, whatever you say. Whatever you say, Lord. He has the same response as Mary did. May that be our response. May it be our response to obey God, add his word, when we hear his word. If, jo if Joseph had all the excuses in the world to question this, virgin, birth, God in the flesh, sins, Savior, what, what kept him tethered to obeying this is he knew God's word already. He knew God's will through the, it being revealed through the Old Testament. He knew that there was a Savior coming. He knew that the, the, the prophecy that there needed 700 years prior that there would be a virgin, uh, a virgin would bear the Messiah. 
Is this how we know that God's word is true? That 700 years before Jesus comes, that it was foretold that, a, a, that the Savior would come through the womb of a virgin and in a city in a town called Bethlehem. We're going to get to that. Like the whole, this is being fulfilled in real time. He's like, man, God, you're doing what you've already said in your word. I trust the rest of your word. I will obey you willfully. I don't need to question it. I'm going to just obey it. That's Joseph. Now Herod, the king. Chapter 2. So we're into Matthew chapter 2 now. Verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So Jesus is born, already born. And then he's born in a city called Bethlehem in, in Judea. This is where he's at. And then uh, these wise men, these, these men, they're, they're pagan men, uh, non-Christians, uh, have heard about Jesus and God is drawing him to himself. And so they start looking for him. And so they, 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 this is what it says, verse 2, saying, where is he? So they've come to Jerusalem. They've come from the east to Jerusalem, and they're saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So through, the, through miraculous signs and wonders, through a star, through creation, what Romans 1 says that all of us, every single one of us, not just you, but everyone who lives on planet earth, even in the bush of Africa where no one you know, claims that, that anyone could know God, anywhere and everywhere from the time uh, we were born, uh, or sorry, from the time of creation to the present and beyond, Romans 1 tells us that creation declares the glory of God and that we all, na- na- by our, our natural birth, testify that God is real and he is, there's one God. But what we do is we suppress the truth in disobedience and rebellion. We suppress the truth and we exchange the truth of God for a lie. So generation after generation after generation after generation since Adam to the present, we've just been seeking new lies to make up to worship other false gods. It's just, and the, these, these guys were doing that. The magi the, the, or the, the wise men, they worship false gods. But, but they, they looked out at creation and went, no, nah, man, we're wrong. We're wrong. And God is drawing them in. They've heard about uh, we don't know all the details, but they've heard about Jesus. They've heard the prophecies that he would be born king of the Jews. And so their hearts are changing. Their minds are changing. They're seeing the, the God at work in their life. And they're, they're seeing it through maybe relationships with others and, and, and people talking about uh, the, 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 the prophecies being fulfilled. And they're, they're, they're questioning their worldview. They're, everything's being deconstructed in such a way that they realize that they're wrong, that God is right. And like, we got to go find the scholars. We've got to go find the people in Jerusalem to tell us about that, 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 the Messiah who was born king. They're, they're literally willing to leave everything and search for this child who was, quote, born king of the Jews. When Herod, the king, so that's where they're at. They're, they're looking for him. And they, what do they want to do? They want to come worship him. See, they're not wanting to come get information about him. They're not coming to want to know, uh, hey, can you, can you give me all the reasons why your God is true? They're already convinced. They're already convinced. Their hearts have been changed. They're ready to go worship. They're ready to exchange their false worship for true worship. They're ready. They come ready. Some of you, that may be you today. You're coming. You're ready to give up the false worship and worship the one true God, Jesus. So they come. They come and Herod the king, he, when he heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. So the, the town knows, the city knows that Jesus was born. These dudes 
who are non-Christians are wanting to worship the God, the Messiah. And the Jews are like, they're not ready for that. He was their Messiah, our Messiah, all the world's Messiah. But it looks like the non-Christians a little bit ahead of the, 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 the church here. And so I need us to see Herod, this guy who hears this news. He's, he's called Herod the First or Herod the Great. Yeah, historically, that's who he is. His, he is a descendant of, of uh, Esau. He's an Edomite. Why does this matter? J- Jacob, uh, the promised son, uh, uh, is is. Jacob or Israel is the descendant, or Jesus is a descendant of the line and lineage of Jacob. His twin brother Esau, Edomites, Herod. So Jesus is the rightful king from the line and lineage of Jacob or Israel. Esau, a part of the, the line and lineage, uh, uh, Herod, is part, Herod is part of the line and lineage of, of Esau, not the covenant people of God. Herod has been appointed king by the Romans. The Romans have appointed Herod as king. He hears the news, Jesus was just born king. Like Herod had to do a lot to become king. Herod was, all, was ruthless. He murdered his own wife, several of his sons and other relatives to, to accumulate power and become, quote, king of the Jews. Like he's slaughtered many and he will slaughter many more to protect his kingdom. And he hears this, this, this Messiah, the Jew, the true rightful heir to the throne has been born. He's terrified. He's greatly troubled. He feels threatened. What we're going to see later, or we're not going to see it today uh, in our scripture, but if you keep reading, what we find out later is that he, uh, he doesn't get to kill Jesus. Jesus is born. And he's born here. He's not in Bethlehem, uh, or he's not in, in Jerusalem, but he's in Bethlehem. He's going to send these magi, which we'll get to in a moment, to go find Jesus. What's going to happen is they're, they're not going to report back to him, but what Herod is going to seek to do, because he doesn't know where Jesus is, he's going to slaughter all the, the males, all the male children, two years and under. He's going to kill them all to find, just to try to get to one child, Jesus. He's going to be unsuccessful. But I want you to see this. This is the, uh, Herod has the, he, he, he has the spirit of the, of, of the wicked, evil serpent Satan among him. He's seeking to destroy Jesus and his kingdom even at the beginning of his birth. And I want you to know the enemy still wants to seek to destroy Jesus' people and the kingdom. But he can't. I need you to know. The hope of Christmas is that Satan is a loser. And he, he, his head has been chopped off. And we're going to smash it like the sounds of drums until Jesus comes back. And, he, and he, Jesus is already king. He's going to rule and reign forever and always. They may take our heads, but we'll, it's Satan, Jesus and will crush his head. That's the good news. I need you to see that though the evil will prevail against you at times, Jesus is still king. And, there, and, and no one can stop his kingdom from advancing. And that's part of the sermon series. And then, then when we get to uh, Christmas Eve, when we're going to have this big celebration, we're going to look at the reality that Jesus' kingdom will not only not end, but it will never decrease. Never in the history of the world has the kingdom of heaven decreased. You have to be a non-Christian to think that you can stop Jesus' kingdom. So many Christians sit around thinking like, oh, we've lost, we're losing, blah, 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 we're weak. Jesus is strong. Keep your head up. March forward. It, they, Herod couldn't kill Jesus. The Romans later killed Jesus because he gives himself up willfully. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously. Now he's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He's coming back as a judge to judge the living and the dead. That should, 
that should terrify anyone who would, who would oppose Jesus, the king. Harry's not terrified in this moment. He's not terrified. He wants to eradicate Jesus. What's also going on at this time is there's been a, a, a census required by Caesar Augustus um, who, who has been sent out to the, all the families to go get registered for tax purposes. Another wicked system. Uh, you got to go get registered to give you know, the Romans your money. The Jews are not happy about it. I wouldn't be either, but that's where they got to go. So, so Joseph and his family, because he's from the line and lineage of, of Judah uh, and King David, that he has to go to Bethlehem to be registered. And what this does is it fulfills the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So he's got to go take his pregnant wife, go outside of, six miles outside of Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and then they got, they're going to, along the way, she's going to go into labor, and they're going to have the baby. I want you to see that, that all this is happening all this is happening to fulfill what God's word has always said. It looks like hardship, right? It is. Pregnant woman, you know, riding on camel all the way to, to, to go to this, you know, place where she's not going to be able to have a hotel or, you know, a play at hospital to have a child where she's going to have him and he's gonna lay, she's going to lay him in a manger. Difficulty. We talked about all the difficulties of Mary last week. But look, God is orchestrating. He's even using wicked kings and using Caesar Augustus to get his, his, his child born in a particular place to prove to us that God rules and reigns over kings and kingdoms and always has and forever will. He will use anything and everything to accomplish his will and ways. She gives great cause to rejoice, even in the midst of trial. And so Herod, wanting to kill Jesus, he inquires about where he's going to live, where, where, where Jesus is going to be born, verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests, these are the pastors, the religious leaders, the, 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 the guys who read their Bibles, who, who supposedly knows, know their Bibles and, and can interpret the Bible. Uh, the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So it, because it's been prophesied, because it's been foretold, because the God's people should have known and been ready, they tell him this because they did know. Uh, he says this, they, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people. So he inquires about Jesus. Where is he going to be? And what do they say? What do these leaders say? They say, the scriptures have already told us. See, the Bible interprets itself and proves itself to be true time and time and time again. The scriptures have told, we saw last week, 700 years beforehand, the virgin birth. And now we see he's specifically going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Please see that God rules over all nations, all kingdoms at all times. He's bringing Mary and Joseph specifically to Bethlehem to fulfill this prophecy. And the religious leaders know this. They don't do anything about it. These wise men, are, these, these non-Christians who are becoming Christians are like, hey, where's this Messiah? Where's the king? Where do we go to worship? Where's the church? Let's go. And the religious leaders are like, oh, now that you mention it, uh, yeah, he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Well, that's what the scriptures say. Are the scriptures right? Yeah, I mean, we, we say that they are. We, it has no bearing on our lives. We're not going to do anything about it. How many Christians are like that? Oh, yeah, I believe God's word. I don't obey it, though. I don't obey it. Well, I obey some of these things. There's sometimes where I'm just like, ah. Seems like an Old Testament God there. Seems like an, 
Yeah, he is. He fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. So if you're afraid of, quote, unquote, the God of the Old Testament, which doesn't exist. There's only one God. He's the same forever and ever. If you're afraid of the Old Testament stuff, just know that he fulfills it. It's literally quoting the Old Testament, fulfilling it. Well, he only feels, hopefully only, no, all. All. He fulfills it. Scriptures testify to this. See, we don't read the Bible and interpret it. We read the Bible and it interprets us. Sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, oh, I don't like what I see in me. God, you must be wrong. God, you must be wrong. Herod's not even like that. He's like, tell me what the scriptures say because uh, I need to know exactly what God says. And we need to go follow what God says. He has malicious motives because he wants to kill Jesus, but he's so convinced that there is one God and that he rules and reigns and that he was going to bring a king to earth, the Messiah, and that king was going to dethrone him. And he's so convinced that God is true, the prophets are true. He's asking the religious leaders, where does it say it so I can go stop God? He's so convinced that God exists. He's so convinced that there's a Messiah. He just thinks that he can thwart God's plans. He can't. You can't edit the Bible. You can't edit the scriptures. You can't read your opinion into the text. You can't. Even the non-Christian King Herod, he's like, I'm not going to obey it, but I believe it to be true. How many of you believe God's word to be true, but you're not seeking to obey it, like the religious leaders? It says that Jesus will be king and also a shepherd. Shepherd, he will shepherd his people. He will come as a ruler who will shepherd my people. That's who Jesus is. He's a shepherd king. What do shepherds do? They lead sheep. They lead them. They feed them. They provide for them. They protect them. Jesus leads us by his word, will, and ways. He feeds us by his word. We're told that by Jesus himself that man doesn't live by bread or food alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The scriptures are God's word breathed out to us. It's like God whispering in your ear. Sometimes it's like a trumpet, sometimes it's like a whisper. It's God spoken. He's spoken through his word. And so the shepherd leads us by his word, will, and ways. And he's revealed to us. So a good shepherd not, doesn't just lead us by his word, will, and ways, but he's already revealed to us through the scriptures. Additionally, a shepherd not just feeds, but he protects. He protects. He's not just leading and feeding us, but he's protecting us and keeping us. We're told that no one can snatch the children of God out of God's hands. No one. Jesus has us locked down. Satan, enemy, demons, whoever, lies, whatever, whoever it is, Herod can't stop, cannot peel back the fingers of God's grip on you. It doesn't mean you don't go through trial. It doesn't mean that things are not hard. It means that the enemy does not prevail. But God does. The, the, the shepherd will defend the sheep. The wolves come to attack. The shepherd fights. David, who was a foreshadow picture of King Jesus, beat off the lion and the bear with his bare hands. Jesus was nailed to a cross in your place for your sins. Claiming victory over sin, Satan, death, and the grave. Offering you righteousness and new life and salvation. Forgiveness of sins. That's the king. That's the shepherd. So we have good kings we see in the world. We have bad kings like Herod. 
But there's only one shepherd king, and that's Jesus. He's come. He has come. So now let's look at the wise men's response. Verse 7, when Herod, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time they had, the star had appeared. So now he's like doing some like math. All right, if the star was here at this time, how do we figure out where Jesus is so that we can go kill him? That's what Herod wants to do. And he sent them to Bethlehem. The, why did they go to Bethlehem? Because the scriptures had said so. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that I may come worship him. Liar. See, just because people say they want to worship Jesus doesn't mean they do. Wolves are trying to sneak into the, 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 the shepherds, uh, into the flock all the time. That's why God appoints shepherds and teachers to defend uh, the, the people from the lies of the enemy, from the attacks of, of real people who would seek to divide the sheep, the fold of God. And so he says, I'm going to come worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. They don't know that he's lying. Behold, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So the star comes back. They need to get to Jesus. They need to find him. So what does God do? He intervenes. Some of you, that's your story. You're like, I'm trying to get to Jesus. I don't know him. I don't love him. But where do I go? So he showed up to a church. Like, I think they might talk about him here. You followed a star, so to speak. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe you just of your own interest. You feel like you've come here, you're looking, you're searching, you're asking questions. Some of you may believe, some of you may not believe. I don't know where everyone is at. But, but you may be like the wise men who just asked, you're seeking information. You, you, you don't know Jesus yet, but you, you, you want to know, where, where would I find him? Well, God showed up. He's leading them to Jesus through the star. How has, Jesus, how, how has God been leading you to Jesus today? Let me ask you that. How has God been leading you to Jesus today? Non-Christians, how, how has that been? I mean, you're here. That's one way. How'd you get here? You're like, car. God led you through car. Awesome. Also, Christians, God is leading you to Jesus today too, to worship him just like he's leading the Magi to worship him. God is calling you continually to himself. Not just for salvation, but for life on earth, deep abiding relationship with him until Jesus comes back, to worship him just like them. And so they got to the place where the star was. And when they saw the star, they, were, they got pumped. They rejoiced, exceedingly, uh, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This means the same thing. They got really, 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 really excited, pumped up. How many of you are pumped up to see Jesus? How, how many of you are pumped up to worship Jesus? I think the Magi put Christians to shame all day long. Guess what they didn't have? Fog machines, lights. They didn't have sound. They didn't have music. They didn't have a production. They had nothing. They had nothing but a star in a, in, a, in a prophecy. And they're like, let's go. Where is this man? Where is the king? Let's go worship him. Let's go worship him. Is that your heart? Is that what you want to do? Do you long to worship Jesus? Do you want to worship Jesus? Is worship just for you singing songs? Is it only in the car ride when you get to play the music you like? Is worship, what is it like? See, these men, worship is this. They heard the news about the king and they said, we want to go see him. We want a relationship with him. We want to be near him. So they, they, they leave and they travel to find him. And they want to come, they want to bow before him. They want to worship in his presence. See, if you're a Christian, then the presence of God has been inputted into your heart now. Through the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is with us now always, even to when he returns. Do you worship Jesus with your time, how you use your time? Do you worship Jesus with your talent, how you, the stuff, the gifts you have, your job, your work, where you live, where you work, where you play? Do you worship Jesus in your home? Do you worship Jesus with your money? Do you worship Jesus with your entire life? That's what these men are doing. They're taking off work to make sure they can get to Jesus. This, this only happens once for them, Jesus star. For us who know, love, and trust Jesus and have put our faith in him, he's available to us all day, every day, and therefore we're like, ah, I'll worship a few days a week. Maybe. These guys are excited, exceedingly great joy. And guess what? They didn't go to Bible college. They went to pagan college. We'll talk about that here in a moment. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary. So she's not, no longer in the manger. She's at a house, and, and Mary's there. So they got out of the manger, and he, they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country another way. God showed up again. Herod's a liar. Don't trust that guy. So let's talk about these wise men. Let's talk about these men. First question, how many wise men are there? If you said three, we don't know. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying we don't know. There's three gifts, not necessarily three wise men. It's true. There's no, I know, I get it. The nativity says three. But also the nativity has them with Jesus. Where? At the manger. Also wrong. Not saying, you know, if you have a nativity scene, you're a heretic. I'm just saying the scene is not true. It's not true. The wise men were not there at Jesus' birth. They were not. They were there after. They heard, we see it in the text. The birth of Jesus happened. He was born. Then they said, whoa, we need to go see this guy. They acquired about him. Then they went way later. They went way later. This is why uh, Herod kills all kids two and under. Or it would have been like one and under, six months and under. It was like, man, so much time had passed up to two years by the time news got back to Herod that he was not going to get baby Jesus in the manger, that he needed to kill all two-year-olds and under just in case he missed the mark. That's these wise men. Who are they? They are Some call them magi. These are are guys who are uh, pagan priests. This is like in the book of Daniel. These are, they, these are experts in astrology, dream interpretation, dark arts, studied of, of, of demonic sacred writings. Uh, they, they pursue wisdom and magic, full-on paganism. It's like the occult existing to this day. These are these guys. They're not Christians at all. Nowhere, they're, not, they're, they're religious, but in a, in a pagan sense. They don't worship the same God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't even claim to. Think about this, you're, you're, you're non-Christian, uh, pluralistic, uh, pagan, uh, philosophy teacher at the, the university. That's these guys. That's these guys. With a lot of government funding to do a lot of stupid stuff that makes no sense. These are, this is, these, are these guys. And this is, they're not Christians. Yet, God is drawing them to himself to show us all that God is after all people. Not to keep them as they are but to change them into who he, who he intended them to be. He's taking these magi, and he's going to save them. He's going to save them. And they're, they're from, where are they from? They're from the east, which is, is probably and likely Persia. We don't actually know exactly, but that's where they're at. Persian, 
these king, these rich dudes coming to you, they spend a lot of money, they spend a lot of time to go pursue Jesus. What this text is emphasizing here is that God is drawing people to himself. And everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. These are pagan dudes. I want you to remember Abraham when we studied Genesis. What was Abraham before God you know, jumped into his life? A pagan. His dad was like a child sacrificing dude. That was his father. That's what he grew up in. That was his environment. And then God showed up and saved Abraham. Saved him. It made him his, made all of his descendants his covenant people, through whom Jesus comes to save us. God loves to save people. He loves to take non-Christians and, and turn them into Christians. That were all of us. Everyone in here at one point in time didn't know, love, and trust Jesus. But God intervened and changed you just like he changed Abraham and just like he's changing these, these magi here right before our eyes. You see, Christmas has a way of doing this. The Christmas season has a way of drawing people to Jesus. You even hear it. We've been talking about it today. That, that even in, in, in secular music, Christmas carols proclaim the gospel better than some of these like worship leaders out there. Sorry, I didn't want to go off on that tangent. But there's a lot of songs that you're like, uh, I don't even know if that's in the Bible. The Christmas carols are far more accurate oftentimes than many of the stuff you hear on popular Christian radio. It's just, and so, but when they play the, the Christian, the Christmas stuff, it's like gospels being heard. People are just listening to Christmas music and they're hearing the good news of the person and work of Jesus constantly. You know why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year? Because everyone's focused on Jesus. Even the crazy pagans who want to mock Christmas and call it a holiday party, which really means holy day party, even they're the fools that don't even know that they're worshiping the, 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 the holy day, the holiday, Jesus, that guy. We're all there worshiping him, unknowingly many people. God's word is out. It's getting out. Then they try to do the, never mind. This is the Christmas. Is, even my Hindu friends, every Christmas, they're like, let's come to church for Christmas. Y'all doing a Christmas service again? These are, they're like the Magi. Polytheistic pagan dudes, but they're being drawn in by Christmas. It was sad one day when I told him that Santa wasn't in the Bible, but Jesus was. And he gives different gifts, eternal life. But Christmas has a way of drawing people in. Because Jesus draws people to himself. He's drawing even at his birth. And so what we're seeing here is that every religion needs to come to Jesus. And worship Jesus only. God is pursuing us, chasing us, calling us. But he's not calling us to stay as we are. But to become like who we were meant to be. And how does that happen? That's just, oh, some of you are like, that sounds good. I'll tweet that. Let me tell you what that means. It means that you make Jesus your king. And you surrender. You bow down and worship him. And whatever he says, you say, yes, Lord, I agree. If I don't agree, Help me agree. I want to obey you willfully. I submit to you. At every area of your life. Every area. God, I want to make you, you Jesus, my king. I want to worship you. 
See, these pagan priests surrendered their religion, surrendered their worldview, surrendered their ideology, run to the Bible teachers, say, hey, teach me God's word, and then let me go get to that king and worship him because he's more superior than my false gods, my false religion, my own identity, my own self, whatever I, I put at the center of my life, Jesus is more valuable. And then what do they do? They show it with gifts. Gold, the first one, gold. Like they spend real hard, their hard-earned money on Jesus. They give him gold. Why? Because we're called to worship the king. So he, they worship the king in these three ways, with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Worship the king. That's what they're there to do. Worship Jesus as king. How is Jesus drawing you? Will you worship him as king? Gold is for king. Gold is for king. We're told in Matthew 2.2 2, that Jesus was born king. Herod was made king. Jesus from birth is king. Jesus right now is king. Do you worship Jesus as king? When you see this gift that they give him gold, you see that he is a king and he is to rule your life, rule your thoughts. You are to worship him with all your time, with all your talent, with all your treasure, with all your life. Do you, do you see this? Do you aim to please Jesus first and foremost above all? Does Jesus rule your thoughts? Does his word, will, and ways have dominion over your life? If not, this Christmas season, right now, today, exchange it. That's what you're going to do with your Christmas gifts anyway, half of you. You're going to go exchange them. Right? Oh, I offended someone. I'm sorry. That's what, you know, it's too big, too small. I'm going to get it. I'm going to exchange it. We all go exchange gifts after the holiday season. Why, what we need to do is exchange the lies we believe the false worship we have, exchange anything we put in Jesus' place, exchange it. It's called repentance. Exchange it for Jesus. Exchange it for Jesus. Let him rule your life, rule your heart, rule your mind. Second, frankincense. They worship the king through giving him frankincense. What this is is an incense. You know, you guys that are you know, essential oil people, you all understand this a little more than most. But Old Testament incense was used by the priest in the temple. It was by, by the priest. And so what this is saying, that frankincense shows us that Jesus is our priest. So the gold shows us that Jesus is our king. The frankincense shows us that Jesus is our priest, meaning that he mediates between God and man. We just got done studying First and Second Timothy, and that's exactly what Paul tells Timothy. And in chapter 2, verse 5 of First Timothy 1, is that there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. See, these pagans are already pointing to the, the person and work of the king, King Jesus. Gold, he is king. Frankincense, he is our priest, which means he stands in our place for our sins. That's what the priest would do, would make sacrifice for, for the people. That, and through those sacrifices, not them themselves, but they would kill and slaughter the sacrifice that would be the atonement for the people. That would take away the sins of the people for that year. And they have to do it over and over and over and over again. But frankincense is showing us that Jesus is our priest. That he's going to die once for all. All sin. Past sin. Present sin. Future sin. He dies for the sin that you're committing now. In disobeying God's word and worshiping him as king. He, die, he's dying, he died for the sin where you look at God's word. And you're like, I don't like that verse. I want to edit that verse. He died for that sin as well. You're the sin of commission. Sin that you have done. Sin of omission, which you have left undone, that you should have done. He has died in your place for all of those sins. Do you see this? Every single one of them. That means when you become aware of your sin, you, 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 you see, I, I'm, I'm wrong, I'm guilty, I read God's word, and I'm wrong, he's right. You can run to him. 
Put your faith in him, your trust in him. He's already dealt with it. You can own it. You can confess it. You can seek forgiveness because he's dealt with it. Past, present, future sin. Jesus, even the pagan priests are understanding that Jesus is the one true priest, the one who can atone for sins. They give him frankincense. And then myrrh. Anyone know what myrrh is? If you get this, you have weird friends. Myrrh is embalming fluid for the dead. That's a weird gift to give a child. Yeah, well, here's why. Because myrrh is used for embalming because it's to show us that Jesus is not just king, not just priest, but he is our substitute and savior. The priest slaughters the lamb on behalf of the sins of the people. Jesus is not just the one who oversees the ceremony, but says, I'll be the sacrifice. Jesus was crucified in your place for your sin. Do you believe that? Do you hope in that? Do you trust in that? All of these things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, are foreshadowing the come, not, not just that Christ has come, but foreshadowing the cross of King Jesus. We're gonna get there in depth throughout the series. Because Jesus was not just born, he he lived, he died, he rose again. Jesus is our, 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 our king. He's our shepherd king. He is our priest. But he's also the lamb that was slain, the one who died for our sins. So the question is, how will you respond? Will you worship the king? Will you worship him? Or will you be like Herod and just be interested? Oh, give me information about Jesus. Tell me about God. Tell me about his ways. Just so I could use them, maybe to manipulate God or to make myself feel better. Or to stop the progress of Jesus and his church. Like Herod and try to kill the king. To remain king. Do you use God's word to, to try to keep yourself in the same position that you're in? Do you use God's word against one another? Uh, in order, and maybe in your relationships in order to, you know, uh, you not to be guilty but the other person be guilty? Christians are, are, can do this. Herod is only interested in God's word and interested in Jesus to use it, the information, for himself. Repent of that Herod tendency, demonic tendency, if that's what you're doing, using God, using his word for yourself. And not for, and what I mean is in the way that Herod is doing. He, he wants to protect himself and use God's word to harm others. Second, the religious leaders, we respond like them. And the religious leaders who knew about Christ's birth, they knew about his location, but they didn't go. They weren't interested. How will you worship the king? Or will you be like the religious leaders who hear this information? You're like, I agree with, you know, maybe 50% of what that guy said. I I believe maybe some of what the Bible says. I agree, like, yes, Jesus, whatever. I agree. I'm just not really interested. It's not a good season for me right now to obey. How many Christians say that? I'm just not in a season. Hell's hot and forever is a long time. That'll be a season as well. Just so you know, you will be seasoning for an eternal fire. Like, that is what you will be. I don't write the news. I just deliver it. That's what, (laughs) it's what it is. It's what it is. You should not fear me. You should not fear uh, anyone else. You should fear the God who, you should not just fear God the Father, but Jesus who will actually rule over heaven and hell and eternity. 
Hell's not just where bad guys go. It's where Jesus pours out the wrath that was poured out on him, that those who rejected him, who rejected his substitute. All the wrath of God the Father is poured out on Jesus Christ the Son. If you, if you don't have Jesus as your substitute, that wrath is not diverted from you. But you're going, I reject God, I'm so strong. Boom, you're done. That doesn't scare you, then you're insane. Like, well, that makes me hate God. Awesome. I'm trying to plead with you to tell you that you can hate God all you want. You can rebel against him. You could hate him. You could slander him. You could be like Herod and want to eradicate him. You could wish that he didn't exist. You could say, if that's the type of God it is, I, I refuse to worship him. But I'm telling you, he is coming back. And anyone who doesn't know, love, and trust Jesus, the sin atoning sacrifice, the king, the savior, who gave himself for you, is a fool. You're a fool for rejecting it. I'm pleading with you to see the news, to hear the news that Jesus loved you so much. He saw you in your sin, saw your rebellion, saw your shortcomings, saw you running far from him, hating him, slandering him, doing all these things and said, I want you in my family. And so I'm going to come to rescue you with my own life. You can't atone for your sins, but I can. I'm going to give myself for you as a lamb to be slaughtered. Herod can't kill me, but the Romans will kill me through the Jews because I want to stand in your place for your sins, to save you, to redeem you, to adopt you, to bring you into the kingdom, into the family. And then you, if you hear that news and you reject it, you believed all the news in 2020. You did. And all the ones that were finding out were lies. You believed it like that. And you hear timeless word of God. that It's been proven over and over for centuries. Thousands of years have come to pass and proven it to be true. There's more manuscripts of the Bible than there are any manuscripts of any of the books that you have ever read in your life. And you're just like, I'll believe what's on the news. I'll believe the headline of this tweet. I will believe. You believe so much. I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you. Worship the king. He's coming back. He loves you. The time for repentance is now. When he returns, every knee will bow. Every mouth will be stopped. There will be no more time for repentance. It will be like the days of Noah. When Noah heralded for, for, for his, his life to repent, to turn back to God, and the people mocked him, they, didn't, they, they rebelled against God. He built an ark, and then he shut the doors and got in it. The rain came, the floods came, the people were banging on the doors, wanting a Savior, but there was no time left for saving. I love you too much to just not say that. So, Let's worship the king. Let's respond through worshiping the king. Give Jesus your life. Give him your heart. Give him your talent. Give him your treasure. Give him your everything. The way we're going to respond in worship, we're going to do so through communion, where we get to remember the sin atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Then we're going to stand and we're going to sing because we believe it to be true. So sing as if it's true. 
And then later, we're gonna have an opportunity to worship Jesus through giving like the Magi who gave gifts. And then we're gonna leave here to worship Jesus with our entire lives as the Magi do. They don't go back to Herod and their false teachings, false gods. They go back and worship Jesus as king. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, we love you. But you love us more. You care for us more. Christmas, we're reminded that we are sinners in need of a savior. We're reminded of all the things we're ashamed of, the sins that we've, we've done, committed, sins have been done against us. Lord, forgive us of having hearts like Herod that, that tend to be ruthless, seeking your own will. Um, we need to edit your word, to not submit to you. Forgive us of our sin. Give us hearts like Joseph to obey. Obey now. Obey the gospel. Believe in Jesus. And then live our lives like we believe that news. Believe that it's true. So continue to hear your word, to continue to obey your word, to continue to follow you. May we worship you, Lord Jesus, with all of our heart, mind, and strength. May we worship you with our time, talent, treasure. May we bring to you our wealth as worship to you. Like, they, like the Magi brought their gold. May we honor you and worship you as our high priest, our sin atoning sacrifice, and our Savior. Help us, Lord, now as we respond. And may we worship you, Jesus the King.